The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode two of season five of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It is great to be back into the podcast flow. Last week, we cut off our Elvin Jones 10 Reasons to Love at five. I think we did five, but there's a plus one, so this is six. We'll finish that conversation in a bit. Um, Thank you all for listening. The response has been great. The feedback has been great. This format, I think I want to stick with for this whole season. So we're going to have lessons and interviews and product features, questions. So if you have any questions for the show, shoot them to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com, or you can also shoot me a DM on Instagram, Mike Dawson Drums, and we'll definitely get to them in the show. Once again, special thanks to Simon Treasure for sending in his intro beat. We'll be featuring that in the show here for this season. I don't have any breaking news to discuss. We are preparing for PASIC, which happens next week. So if you're planning to go to PASIC, go check out the Drum Factory Direct booth. We're on an end cap in the main exhibit hall. I think we're right by um, Tama and Ludwig in that area. Mapex is right there as well. So come say hello. We've got some things happening there. We've got some um, snare drum uh, refresher packs that we're doing a special deal. We get a batter head, a bottom head, and a set of wires. We have our practice pads and sticks there. We will have some new drum candy t-shirts there. Um, Drum Factory Direct t-shirts there. We're going to be hopefully getting as many of the artists there to do signings and photo ops. So if you're coming to Indianapolis next week, make sure you come hang out at the Drum Factory Direct booth. All right, let's get back to our discussion of 10 Reasons to Love Elvin Jones with my good friends David Throckmorton and Thomas Wint. Throckmorton is on the left of the screen and Tom is on the right. We are picking up right after, I believe, David had just talked about how he loves everything that Elvin had done from the beginning of his career to the end of his career. And then I kind of waxed poetic a little bit about just the, the mystical, magical bit of Elvin. So um, humor me while I get through that little bit, and then we'll get back to listen to some tracks. So here is the second half of 10 Reasons to Love the Great Elvin Jones. I did an experiment with that. I gave uh, my buddy James, trumpet player, I just had him, just, he just sent me a recording of him just playing like bebop stuff. And I put that over top of this. Yeah. And it synced up in some just magical ways. Like, he wow. Was, it was like they ended phrases together. I was like, what the hell is That's going amazing. On? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I probably still have it somewhere. But because I like, there's something in there that's more than just him playing the drums. There's no question. Something else going yeah. on. And I've, you know, so many of our heroes talk about all the same stuff with Elvin. Like, I've, I have like a clip of any at a clinic talking about Elvin mm. and just talking about all this stuff, you know. Like, you, you can't transcribe it, you know. You, it's just, it's in there. You know, speaking of sort of the, the, the magic mysteriousness of him, I saw Elvin play twice, and the first time was at Manchester Craftsman's Guild with the Jazz Machine. Nicholas Payton was really young. Oh, that's when I met him. Yeah. And he played brushes on a tune, and I was kind of far away. Um, and it was a small concert hall, so I wasn't like right up on it. And they were playing, and it was it was it was not a it was kind of like a walking ballad, slow tempo. And he was playing brushes, and it was the most beautiful, smooth sound. But when I watched him, his hands 
were just going like this. <laughs> and he was rocking, and th his hands were almost making this jerking motion. Interesting. But that's not what it sounded like. <laughs> and I, it was like an illusion. I was like watching it going like, like what is he doing? Like, how is that? The sound didn't sync up with the visual. Yeah. You know? And that was when I was just like, man, this is... This is somebody very yeah. special and different, and, and just and you know. Just to add to that, and this is a point we've brought up before in some other one of these, it is um, that's the first time I saw Elvin too. I only saw him play play it once, but I met him twice. Yeah. And um, this is the, that was that's the perfect um, uh, thing to say in terms of like you need to see this music in person. Mm, thank you. Because mm. when I saw Elvin. You know, when I saw Tito Puente's band for the first time, I saw all these great drummers. Yeah. You know, you see you see it in person. It's like you learn different stuff than, than you do on a re recording. And I live with recordings. I listen to, I'm an audio fanatic. I don't I don't even like watch a ton of a ton of video compared to how much audio I listen to. But seeing it in person, hearing it in person, and you know, getting rid of like the you know the unknown of what could have happened on the recording and just seeing it in front of you. Mm -hmm. Seeing Elvin Jones play from 20 feet away, there's no substitute for that. Yeah, I, seeing him that first time, the other thing that knocked me out was his sound. It was, it was big. It wasn't loud. It, I mean, there were times when he was sure. loud, but it was huge. I mean, the snare drum sounded like it was that big. <laughs> and I remember watching him when he was playing with sticks, and there were times where he would throw his left hand into mm -hmm. the snare drum and it would, but it, it wasn't like, ah, it was like, it was just this huge sound. And that's, that was the first time that I really realized how important your sound is. Because so often as drummers, it's like, I got to play something slick. Mm. But what kind of sound do you get? You know? And that, that to me was like, gosh, like, yeah. you know, it was amazing. And that's goes along exactly with what you just said is like you need to experience how someone fills a room with sound yeah you can't get that from a TikTok video mm -hmm. you can't even get it from a good record you can get an idea but it's not the same yeah and the, the uh feeling you get seeing it right in front of you 100 amazing yeah. whether it's a voice or a horn or whatever you know it's something else you know yeah where yeah. do we go next um, it's all good. We could do one of mine, I guess. All right. Yeah. Just go to the next one. In the Drum order. thing? Sure. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. This starts in the middle. Did you get yeah, that? Yeah, I got okay. three minutes in. So. Now, you talk about a beautifully recorded record. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is one of the most classic Coltrane, Rudy Van Gelder. I mean, they're all great, but this one in particular, the sound is beautiful. The, the way his bass drum sounds on this, <laughs> it's so great. Just waiting for the stupid Liberty Mutual ad to end. Yeah, All right. That's okay. Five minutes in, we said. Yeah, I trust you. Yeah. Toward the end of the track. Yeah, I just grabbed a chunk, you know. All right, so here we go. Five minutes in, the drum thing.
deep, dude. I mean, that's, you mm. know. Yeah. It's the heaviest <laughs> though. That's, if I had to pick a favorite record with this group, Crescent would be my, my pick. Mm. I love all of them. Yeah. But for, there's something very special about that record. I always say that with this quartet, I, I, don't, I don't let myself listen to it too much because it's all I want. It's the only thing I want to listen to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hear you. You know, I'm just like, I, I, I'll, I, you know, so I just save it for when I really need it, you know. <laughs> but even just there, like, as soon as trains started playing, it's like, it's like, it's like, What's happening to me mm -hmm. right now? I'm, it's just taken away. Yeah, it's you know? transformative. Yeah. You know, if you, for 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 those who, you know, might might be kind of new to to this music, if you really want to hear how great those four guys played, I mean, you can listen to any of it. But one of my favorite things is from that record, Wise One, because there's this this beautiful rubato intro. And then they go into that beautiful, slow Afro-Cuban thing, which nobody could do that like Elvin. But the way they get into it, they basically all just sort of find it together. <laughs> and it's the most beautiful four musicians find, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody counted it off. Nobody set it up. They all just kind of, it all just sorts, it just <laughs> sort of does this. And all of a sudden it's just like, you're just in this, groove that's just like it's like the world is rotating on it yeah. you know it's so beautiful now how many years did this band work this quartet mm, with jimmy garrison not, that, not that long i mean basically i would say maybe three or four years total because yeah. by 65 that's when it started to kind of mm -hmm. Goat train started to go a little, a little different direction, so it really wasn't that long. That Lightning in a bottle. I mean, goodness, couldn't have been a more perfect band. Yeah, and those guys toured the country in a station wagon. <laughs> That's crazy. They were not flying first class. Yeah. They weren't. They were staying in motels, not hotels. Can you imagine the conversations between like Kansas City and wherever they were going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you ever, those of you who are watching, if you ever get to Pittsburgh and you ever. Uh, See, we have a wonderful tenor saxophonist here, an elder named Lou Stalute. He has an amazing story about being on the road with a group in the 60s that he was playing with, and they were staying in the same hotel as Coltrane. Oh, my gosh. So if you ever meet <laughs> Lou Stalute, ask him about it. <laughs> yeah. Shoo, the drum thing. I feel like I, I'm, I don't want to listen anymore. Yeah. That, that did it. That yeah. kind of did it. Yeah, we could, we, yeah, we could stop there, and we'd be good. <laughs> It hits on so much for me. Like I love solo percussion music, like like chamber percussion music, and that taps right into that. It sounds mm -hmm. like Zanakis or something to me. Oh, Anna so Zanakis, good. yeah, yeah, bro. so good. Where do we go? Hmm. Let's do one of Tom's. Did you have another one, Mike, or no? I have one more. Let's do yours. You yeah, want to do, do my? This is a total palate cleanser. This yeah. is Elvin <laughs> doing fusion music. Oh, um, cool. Thorn of a white rose. <laughs> what, 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 what year was this from? You know what, I don't have it written down. That's okay, that's alright. Let's check it out. It's Jan Hammer, so whenever he came onto <laughs> the scene. This is... Elvin Jones is On the Mountain, is the record. Yeah. yeah. This, to me, when I heard this, this is a recent discovery for me. And it was like, oh, this is what everyone right now is doing. This is the, the Thundercat, this is the oh, wow. Justin yeah. Brown. They're all listening to these records. Thank you. 
cycles like five more times. It's killing me. <laughs> That's so great. I've listened to this for a long time, but I used to check this out a bunch. It's so good, man. Yon Hammer's kind of killing. Yeah. And, and you think about some of that like 80s music he made. Like, yeah, yeah. It's so different than this, this stuff, you know. I he love sounds it so great. Much. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's like, I'm going to play in a fusion band, but I'm going to do my stuff. Just hit really hard. <laughs> it's weird, though. Like, somehow, like, I don't think of the fusion word when I hear that. It just sounds like music. Music that Elvin Jones is on. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a band with Elvin. Yeah, you know? <laughs> That's, That's a funky I'm glad record. you played that, man. That's, yeah. I want to say something real quick, which is, which is really stupid. But um, if you see this on YouTube, because I'll watch some of these back occasionally and just try to figure out how much of an idiot I sound like. <clears throat> and what I, sometimes with, with these, I've told you this, it looks like three or four dudes, and like when James is here, that, that, that are like all nodding our head out of time. I promise you when you're in the room, we're all grooving along with this. Yeah. But I think sometimes there's like a little bit of a yeah. lag or something. Yeah, it be synced up this time. And then, and, then, and then we're like all bobbing our heads, like off beats. Yeah. Like and if you're watching, you're like, these These guys, are drummers? What are they doing? are terrible. Yeah. So I'm just sticking up for us. We're all grooving in the room. We're okay. all we're all in there. I think man. with Elvin, you could pick your own pulse, though. Yeah. <laughs> he, he certainly had his own pulse, man. Wow. How many more we got here? Um, I have two more. And then... Do I have one more? I think there's Redhead. Oh, yeah. Let's do that one. Okay. So this is this is kind of an off the beaten path uh, record. This is from 1957, so this is back sort of when he was still developing. But I chose this because this record was made, I think, a week before the Sonny Rollins at the Vanguard. Okay. If you've not heard Sonny Rollins at the Vanguard, it's a classic record. But the sound is interesting on there. You know, some of it sounds a little distorted at times. It has a vibe. It's great. You should check it out if you're not familiar. But this one, this was recorded at Rudy Van Gelder's. Hackensack Studio. So this is a, a date with the alto saxophone of Sunny Red, um, and we're going to hear them trading six-bar phrases on a blues. And so this is sort of a, another window into his style development. So check this out. So there again, it's like he's a little bit closer. Mm. You know, you can hear a lot more of his yeah. his personality in it. You know, plus it's just it's great. You know, like there's there's a couple times where he's stretching the time just a little bit. You know, 
Were they trading sixes? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so it's a blues, blues but they're that's, trading sixes. That's yeah. pretty slick. I never noticed that before. It's it's fun to do. It makes you play a little different mm. when you do that. But yeah, I just that's you know. You more, know what I noticed with his his phrasing is he didn't like finish the second four and then start another four. He just played sixes. Yes, absolutely. Which is really slick. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So I just I, I always like that date. So very cool. All right, Oriental folk song. Yeah. Oh man. I'm glad you glad you picked something off this. Why'd you pick this one? Want to cue it up? I mean, it's it's just it's killing. It's killing. It's also <laughs> great. It's just it's really take your pick, you know. You know the symbol beat it's on kinda, this. It's kind of kind of chill. Kind of chill, you know. That might have been part of the reason. We've been talking about everything, but Elvin's symbol beat is very unique and very special at mm -hmm. any tempo. You know, there were, I've, I've heard drummers say, like, he couldn't really play really up-tempo very well because of the way... I, just, I don't really agree with that. But I understand why somebody might say that. But his phrasing... and we always, I always talk about Joe Henderson's In and Out on Bluno, which is one of my all-time favorites. And his symbol is like this conductor. And it's just so... It's... You just got to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way he plays up-tempos. I do, too. It's, it's unique. Say anything if you're not a fan so, of jazz music. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> it's so so wide. Oh, no. You know, like again, it's like there's there's extra time to. You know, does that make sense? Yes. It's, it's totally. Like, it's so wide. Yeah. I was saying that about Joe Chambers earlier on the other episode, but like there's just this. I would love to space talk to a, create. Yeah. a bass player that had played with him just to explain the feeling because it has to be a different feeling like you know i i actually i, I talked to um uh the bassist richie goods uh who's emmett good's brother and he played a couple of tunes with elvin he told me and he said it was great but he said he said it was i didn't get to talk to him in depth about it but he said it was great but it was it was different it's but it was be. great you know yeah because there's like a quarter note is like i know it's like pick your spot i know <laughs> yeah i know it's it's you know that like the thing that comes up a lot we'll probably talk about this later today, but as far as playing with the bass player, 
actually just playing in a jazz group, period. Jazz more so than like a groove thing for me. You know, a lot of people say in jazz, like, I'd rather rush than drag, you know. And I, I, I feel the same way. But I don't, a lot of tempos, I don't, I don't like, personally, I don't like them to really rush. A little bit is cool. And I'll play with some bass players that are amazing. But I, I always feel like they, certain, like those kind of tempos. It does like it's very hard to slow play medium yeah. tempos. Like I really like them to feel wide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's where you can play with it. Yeah. And I think if it starts to want to bump up for me, it feels like I'm losing my. You're not getting. I'm as losing much the whole. Yeah. You know, if you had to color in a square, like I, the square keeps getting smaller or something. Mm. That might be another terrible. No, analogy. no, I, 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 <laughs> but, I agree. But like I, I, I want to be able to make use of all the time. Yeah. You know. Well, plus, just, you know, from a technical or practical standpoint, that's a hard tempo to play. Those are it's very easy. Tempos, yeah. yeah, I mean, I it's, love those tempos. it's easy to rush and it's easy to drag. And to make yeah. it feel good and then be creative within that, that's mm -hmm. just more proof of the mastery of these, yeah. these musicians, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I really love those tempos. Oh, they're great. Regardless of the time signature. You know, I think a lot of people, if you if you walk into a drum shop, I mean, I don't do this anymore, but like when I was a kid, you walk into Drum World in Pittsburgh and see a kit you like and you want to sit up. Like, those are the tempos I always sit down and play. Interesting. Some guys sit down and have their, they play the mall beats. Mm -hmm. you know, the, yep, yeah. Or we always call it the, I had a student who called it the mall beat. The mall Because every kid at the mall could play that beat. <laughs> That's a pretty good title. Yeah. But like, you know, everybody has their thing they play. Yeah. Some, some, you know, for me, it's always those kind of medium tempos because mm. there's just, there's just so much time. There's so much space to explore. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do that when I try cymbals. Like, you know, people like bell, bell, bell. You know, they're crat. And yeah. I just take I just want ding. Yeah. <laughs> Let me hear what that stick sounds like on it. Yeah. I just bang. I just want to hear what it's, you know. Yeah. And it's, I think that's similar to what you were talking about. You want to see how the drums are going to, what the tone is going to be like. And yeah. different volume, different dynamics and stuff. For sure. You know. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know what else to say about that. I it's, think the the, uh, the greatness of the, the drummer is how little you have to say anything. And we're only 53 minutes in, and I feel like we're done. <laughs> well, we, 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 we got have, one more to two, go. Two more reasons, though. One we more. Have, one more? Okay. I have one, still. Yeah, you have one. Oh, I do. I, I have one more, too. What was yours? Um, uh, Hank Jones. Um, I was hoping you were going to pick this record. I almost picked it on face. Upon Thad. Reflection, Thad's Pad. Thad's, oh, okay. Mm, yeah. All right, so this is a great who's record. going first then? Blood Talk, yeah, do this. Okay. Do this. So this, this comes from a, a favorite record of mine. This was recorded, I believe, in February of 93. This is a Hank Jones date called Upon Reflection, where they play all of Thad's music. Hank Jones, the great, late, great George Mraz on bass and, and Elvin. It's recorded at Van Gelder's studio. Elvin plays brushes on basically the whole record. He plays a beautiful mallet solo on Child is Born, but this, this was the first tune off it. This is a great tune of Thad's that goes back to the early 50s called Thad's Pad. It's a very slick tune. Elvin's playing brushes. The reason I chose it was, check out how he plays the melody with Hank. It's really beautiful. Thank you. 
I mean, there's so much skill and beauty in the way he's playing that. The touch, the way he's playing the different melodic hits, he's not overdoing it. He's he's matching the 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 the, the timbre of of Hank. It, it's just there's so much in that that is so hard to do. <laughs> That's a great album, man. It's such a beautiful record. I mean, he they all three of them play so beautifully and it's recorded so well. It, 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 another example of Elvin being able to, to play, you know, Hank is a very beautiful pianist. He's not like, I mean, McCoy's a beautiful pianist, but stylistically they're just very different. Hank, there's a lot of tonal and understated beauty in it. And that all Elvin never steps on any of it. Even when he, even when he really lays into it, it never, you're never like, God, he's, why is he doing that? Mm. It's like, wow, you know? Yeah. Such artistic mastery, and I just I love how he he plays that melody. There's sensitivity, there's hipness, there's it's all there, you know. <laughs> Very cool. I love that you can hear his grunting and like I think he explained it. He's singing the rests. Like when he learned how to play snare drum, he would grunt or make a sound on all the rest. On all the rests, and hmm. he said it just yeah. stuck with him for his whole life. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> I just feel like he probably just can't not do that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> There's the, on that there's on that Vinny clinic I was talking about. He's talking about. He's like, yeah, you can't transcribe. He's like, how would you transcribe the grunts? <laughs> you know, that's true. Just being silly. Yeah. yeah. There's so much to it, man. That's part of the recipe. All right, we got one more. Let's just send it off. Studio yeah. Riv Riv B Riv B. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, this is off this Joe Lovano record called Trio Fascination. This this is one of my favorite of the older. Yeah, I love this one. Or later Elvin. Later Elvin, yeah. Um, yeah, Dave Holland, Joe Lovano, Elvin, the trio date. Um, really great music. Really great music. So from the top. I mean, that couldn't be anybody else, man. Yeah. That reminds me. I always thought of Elvin as being not a not on a timeline. It's just a sound like that, just constantly yeah. morphing and bubbling and sizzling. It's mm -hmm. not like start and finish. It's just here's Elvin, and he does it for a finite amount of time. Yeah, it's so fascinating because that was just like a 
like a volcano just throwing some things out every once in a while. Yeah. So magical. Yeah. Yeah, he's the best, man. Yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, I don't know what else to say about it. It's, it's wonderful. Listen and enjoy. Yeah. And there's so much, there's so much to listen to. There's just, yeah. you know, there's no shortage of recordings. So enjoy them. Yeah. Yeah. That's Elvin Jones. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. All right, now let's play some drums. I have a lesson here that I recorded that's based on the classic Elvin Jones triplet, which would be two with the hand, one with the foot. Since in the last episode I shared a 3-4 groove that was based on Elvin Jones playing, this week I want to share a lick, a way to get around the drums, that is heavily inspired by the Elvin Jones triplets, two hands with one foot. Before we can get into learning the lick, you've got to first work out the coordination of playing two notes with the hands and one with the foot with a triplet subdivision and then moving that bass drum note to all three positions. So we'll think of the first position as two hands and one foot. The next position would be with the bass drum starting it, so it would be bass drum and then two with the hand. And the third and often most challenging is to put the bass drum on the middle triplet, so it's hand, foot, hand. The next thing to do is to start moving the hands around the drums. Since we have two toms and a snare, we're going to go snare, rack tom, floor tom. We're going to use that motion clockwise and go through those three permutations again. So triplet version one. Version two, starting with the bass drum. And lastly, version three with the bass drum in the middle. Now we're going to cycle through all three of those variations by adding a double bass drum note at the end of the movement. So once you get to the floor tom, you will then play two bass drum notes. That'll take it from the third partial to the downbeat. And then when again, when you get over to the floor tom, play two bass drum notes. That'll flip it to the middle triplet. I'm going to play this first in 3-4 so you can hear what that sounds like. One. So that in itself is a good exercise to get used to changing the way you're orchestrating that triplet, two hands of one foot, whether the bass drum's on the third note, middle note, or the first note. And having that in 3-4 kind of cycles nicely. Now if you want to apply that same concept to 4-4, four, four, it's going to cycle across the bar line, so you have to be very careful with your counting. I'm going to do a four-bar phrase cycling through each variation until we finally land on beat one. This is important to count out loud. I'm going to use a metronome that does the counting for us so you can hear it clearly. Here we go. One, two, three, four. 
And that gives us a really cool four bar phrase that has this three against four feel. We're gonna do that with um, some just like straight jazz time. So we'll do four bars of time and then I'll play that lick. One, two, three, four. 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 Let's do that same thing. I'm gonna kick the tempo up a bit. That was at 100. Let's go up to 150. One, two, three, four. 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 Push the tempo again to 170. One, two, three, four, 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 one, two, three, four. There's a million ways you can mess with that as far as I did a little bit there with some accents. Um, what we're going to do next is change the orchestration. I'm going to keep the same phrasing, the same 3-4 three, four against 4-4, four, four, but instead of both hands moving in parallel, I'm going to lock the left hand on the rack tom. The right hand is going to be alternating between the snare drum and floor tom. This is a real interesting sounding phrase for me. It took a, it took a while. I'm still working on getting my ear to hear this one, so check that one out. We'll go back down to 100 first. One, two, three, four. 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 One. It's crazy how just the orchestration makes it sound like a totally different phrase and also really screws with my internal sense of where the pulse is. Getting the left foot to line up with that, still a work in progress, but we're going to bump it up. That was 100. Let's go up to 130. One, two, three, four. Push it again, we'll go one sixty. One, two, three, four, 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 one, 
I'm going to really go ice skate in here. Let's try 180. One, two, three, four. There you have it. It's still a work in progress, but that's two ideas that I came up with just the other day to help me internalize the three different permutations of two hands and one foot with a triplet subdivision and having some different motions around the drums and different orchestrations. I'm still going to mess with some accents and there's a lot, there's a ton to be explored with just simple two hands and one foot concepts. Um, and I am personally heavily influenced by Elvin Jones for that. So go listen to some more Elvin mess with some of these ideas, and uh, come up with your own concepts, shoot them over to me at drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's get to just a couple of listener questions. Like I said last week, I think these, I might have answered in previous episodes, but I get similar questions like these all the time, so it, it can't hurt to, to repeat them, and I might have some different insights. So this first one here is from Mike, interested in adding an internal muffler to some snares, but they're very nice, and I'm scared of messing them up. Would you recommend adding an internal muffler to a Superphonic, a Black Beauty, and perhaps a Gentleman, a Q Drums Gentleman series? Um, hates Jamoon Gels. Uh, yeah, so the basic question is, should you drill into your shell to add an internal dampener or not? Um, for the Ludwigs, I would say, yeah, if you, if you are careful, because um, you can get the Ludwig dampeners or you can get the Canopus baseball bat dampener, which is a, a replica of their 60s internal dampener. Those are great. So it'll, it'll still look and be true to form to what, because the older Ludwigs had those dampeners in them. I would not mess with your gentleman drum. That's a collector's piece. Keep that exactly as it is. Never get rid of it. Um, if you don't want to drill the shell, there are some external dampeners you can get that kind of clip onto the hoop that are similar to the internal, but instead of going to the underside of the head, they actually dampen from the top. I don't love those. Uh, for me, it's just keep a couple shop rags or um, some gaffer's tape or, or dampening rings. I always carry a, a plethora of dampening devices. I also don't like gels. Um, I'd rather use tape or dampening rings or that sort of stuff. So I would say drill into your Ludwigs, leave that gentleman series alone. And this second one here is from Derek. What are the benefits or disadvantages of mixing hoops, meaning die cast versus triple flange and steel versus brass and wood and all of that? Um, for me, it's the batter head is really the most important thing. So unless you're very particular about having your drum just look consistent top and bottom, if you get a bunch of extra batter hoops, you can really change the sound and performance of your drum just by swapping that out. So. I kind of always suggest having a set of just standard 2.3 triple flange. Next thing I would might add would be a die cast hoop just for the top for when you're really hitting hard or you really need some, some extra attack and focus from your snare. And then I would go the opposite, maybe get a, um, a wood hoop for like a real dark kind of clave sounding um, attack. I think with those three, then you're just getting into nuances. You can go with thinner hoop on the bottom, like a 1.6 on the bottom to open it up a bit. Um, you could go with single flange for a really kind of open, um, like older sounding hoop. But 
I think if you have a, a 2.3 triple flange, um, a die cast, and a wood hoop for the top, and then just roll with whatever's on the bottom, you can get a ton of sounds out of that. All right, once again, as always, if you have any questions for the show, email me drumcandypodcast at gmail.com or shoot me a DM at Mike Dawson Drums or at Drum Factory Direct. For our warehouse pick of the week, we still have boxes of these practice pads in stock. We're going to take a bunch of them to PASIC, and they'll be for sale there. But also, um, if you need a pad, they're on sale, so check it out. This is the 8-inch Drum Factory Direct double-sided portable practice pad. We spent about a year developing this thing to make sure it had the best possible options. We wanted to have a nice soft feel on one side and a more traditional rubber feel on the other side. We made this double thick on the softer side. This is closed cell foam, double thickness. This gives you a quieter sound and a softer rebound for a little bit more of a workout. It feels a little bit more like a detuned snare drum or a floor tom. And on the other side, we have a medium hardness rubber surface that has more rebound, more attack, a little bit more like snare drum practice for this side. So super versatile. It's on a sturdy nine inch wooden base with beveled edges. Easily can throw into your backpack or your laptop bag or your suitcase for traveling. Warming up before shows, you can throw it in your cymbal bag. Super proud about this. So you're not gonna get a better quality pad for this price. So check it out, the DFD eight inch portable practice pad. All right, once again, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your feedback. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star rating and type in some words in the review section, whether that's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting the show. It really does go a long way for helping the show rank higher and show up in more search results. If you have done that, thank you so much. If you haven't, that's all I'm asking for. Just give us a review and a five-star rating. Much appreciated. Now we're gonna end the show with a little tribute to one of the greatest drummers of all time. If you haven't heard already, we lost Aaron Spears tragically um, this past week. And while I didn't know him personally, I did have the good fortune to meet him and hang out with him when he was performing at the Modern Drummer Festival in 2006. And then we'd interact a little bit at NAMM shows and PASICs. Um, such a kind, sweet person. And rather than turn this into any kind of sad thing, I want to celebrate him with a recording. So when we released the DVD for that 2006 Modern Drummer Festival, we had a release party at the cutting room, the old cutting room in New York City. I guess this would have been the spring of 2007. And all the performers were invited, um, including Aaron, and he sat in with the house band. So I got to see several, I got to see a bunch of people play with this house band. When Aaron took the kit, the room just exploded and I had my Zoom recorder there, so I recorded the whole thing. So we're gonna drop that whole whole performance in, no rehearsal, I think they're playing the chicken. He just gets on stage and just rips. This is my humble tribute to the great Aaron Spears, this bootleg recording recorded live at the, at the cutting room in 2007. We're gonna have a special treat here. We've got Aaron Spears, who's also on the DVD that you've been, you know, who's featured on the DVD. He's gonna play right now. 